Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottom of global trends, issues, and developments in low-carbon fuels and vehicles and future fuels. Are you looking for real insight and analysis from the industry's top experts? Are you trying to stay ahead of the curve and read the tea leaves? Then you are in the right place. My name is Tammy Klein, and with me today is Terry Higgins of Terry Higgins Consulting and my former colleague at Heart Energy. We're going to talk about a study that Terry has done with MathPro and with Opus on Octane. Welcome to the show, Terry. Great to have you. Thanks. Great to be here. We have been joking a little bit. We've never been in this role before where I am the interviewer and I am interviewing you, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I want to get right into the questions and uh, some questions that I have for you. And the first one is on the study that you actually completed with Opus and MathPro, and that was on Octane in the U.S. Can you tell the listeners about the study and, uh, and what you guys found? And in your view, you know, what was the most surprising, if anything? Let me respond to this kind of in two ways. First, What's been surprising about the octane market in general? Not as much what we found, but what is really surprising out there and perhaps what really precipitated the study? And then I'll get into some background on what was really surprising in terms of our review of this. Sounds great. With regard to the first question, looking at the historic octane market values, they were reasonably predictable over time and or at least reasonably explainable. And and let me stop here for a minute and just say what I mean by market octane values. And that's simply the difference between high octane premium gasoline price and low octane or lower octane regular gasoline price. And those price differences are largely driven by octane cost as opposed to other. There is some quality premium in there but mostly that's an octane value. So anyway, over the period, let's say last 10 years, 2000 to 2011 or so, the market values of octane generally tracked movements in the spot price of regular gasoline or the spot price of uh, crude oil. Differentials stayed within a very narrow range band where that differential was about somewhere between 5 and 7% of the absolute regular gasoline price. And this, there's a few excursions, but this really relatively held pretty consistent over time. But then in 2012, that differential jumped up to about 10%. And it, it's remained over 10% ever since, bouncing up and down. It actually reached a high of about 18% when crude oil prices reached their high. But even when the crude oil and regular gasoline prices fell dramatically in 2015, It came off that 18%, but still remains well above that, even the 10%, what we saw in 2012, certainly well above the 5% to 7%. So that in itself raised questions. What what is going on here? What really is driving this? Something dramatically different has happened in the marketplace. Analysis revealed a number of factors, but maybe not surprising to a lot of people that are looking at markets. Light tight oil production in the U.S., the expansion of light tight oil had a lot to do with it, and particularly it's what I'll call the secondary effects of light tight oil production. Light tight oil had the uh, impact of a number of things. First of all, it resulted in kind of a decoupling of oil and gas prices. Oil price 
was a lot higher than the energy equivalent gas or LPG price. And the reason that's important for octane values is because the main way you produce octane in the marginal octane in the refinery is through what's called the reforming process. And as that octane gets increased, you make a little less gasoline, you make more LPG. So with those differential prices expanding, you kind of have an expansion or you have additional uh, lost opportunity cost, and that raises the cost of octane. A second effect of the light tide oil is it produced a lot of low octane uh, naphtha in the refinery and gasoline blending system. This in turn raises the cost of producing that octane. Third, light tide oil has uh, modified the petrochemical industry and petrochemical operations. And there is a traditional trade balance of high-octane components from the petrochemical industry. Uh, these have been reduced. Uh, so the gasoline basically raised the, the cost of replacing that with refinery octane. So those three factors doesn't explain all the cost, explained a lot of the costs, and particularly explained a lot of the initial costs that we increased that we saw in 2012. Now, in addition to these, there's two other traditional or identifiable situations that occurred. First, octane requirements had been falling for quite some time, and that's largely due to the fact that more and more ethanol was coming into the system, high-octane ethanol. So the amount of octane that refineries had to make was declining, and that was actually holding down the cost of octane. That growth in, in ethanol has slowed down a little bit in recent years. We're still increasing ethanol, but it's slowed down a little bit. And then a second factor, um, and I think we'll get into a little bit more later, is that the uh, amount of premium gasoline has increased uh, recently. For a number of years, actually, premium market share was going down, and now it's taken a reversal and it's headed up. And then the third is that there's also a little bit of an increase in gasoline demand and gasoline exports. So that's basically what we're seeing in the market. A lot of that has surprised people. The magnitude of these changes have surprised people. Now, the second part of the question is what really have we seen that was a surprise in our study itself? Well, what we saw is that while we used models, we used uh, spreadsheet calculations, and we were able for a long period of this time to quantify why and how much the octane and var these various factors impacted the market octane. But when we got up to these higher octane, the very high octane levels, what we found is that we could not explain what was going on in terms of the traditional octane drivers and the non, even the non-traditional light tide oil-related octane drivers. But there was a piece of the puzzle that was kind of difficult to understand. When we drilled down on this, uh, we found that we believe, and can't quantify it perfectly, but we believe it's totally related to the fact that all of these impacts coupled with the fact that gasoline demand and exports have been in increasing, have led to a situation where the refining gasoline octane producing capability is actually constrained. And we're at a point where, in the short term, any more octane that needs to be generated is going to be generated with the least efficient, highest cost options. 
And therefore, there's a significant portion of that total rise in octane market value that's attributable to a not fully quantifiable, but identifiable constraint within the refining system itself. So the question that I wanted to ask you, especially as it relates to what you just said, is how does this, you know, where does policy come into play? Because um, as you know, there's been a debate over the last few years about uh, increasing octane in the U.S. Uh, gasoline pool. And uh, we know that with fuel economy standards, we think, you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen with them. But EPA has, uh, has uh, moved quickly to uh, finalize the fuel economy standards for 2022 to 2025. And as far as we know, those are going to be implemented. And we know that in the course of those discussions, some automakers had come forth saying, well, we need higher octane. We need octane similar to what we're seeing in um, in Europe. And we know also that the ethanol industry has been advocating for higher ethanol blends as a way to achieve this needed increase in octane. And we know that refiners have not been for it. So my guess, my question to you is what you just said, it seems like that would be a really good explanation as to why with respect to the cost that it's just not going to be that easy for the refining industry. What kind of light does this, does the study, further light does the study shed on this sort of, you know, policy discussions? Um, what, what do folks need to be paying attention to here? I think probably the, the major uh, insight that the study reveals is that we do have this not fully quantifiable, questionable cost component that's related to refinery octane producing constraints. So now what will happen to that? Well, on the one hand, there will be a drive for higher octane. The more additional octane that's put into the marketplace or, or required from the marketplace is going to tend to raise octane cost. Uh, on the other hand, we also have, even though we're looking towards a fuel economy standard, uh, for a few years down the road, the combination of the recent growth in gasoline demand that we've seen and an increased requirement for exports from the U.S., will result in an increase in production of gasoline from U.S. refineries. Now, ultimately, we'll see that, say, towards the after three, four years, start to decline a little bit because of fuel economy standards. So those are, are all the factors that are increasing the cost of, of octane. And as we saw in our study, are, it's very sensitive. In other words, uh, not a huge increase in what we quantify in the report is octane barrel requirements. It's really the way you look at it in terms of a refinery. That's the amount of the octane level multiplied by the production of gasoline, and that's octane barrels. And costs are going to be sensitive to that, and any increase in that will tend to hold prices up. Now, on the other side, another piece that we, we do point out that is very undefined is how are refineries going to respond to that because they can make changes if they improve their refining capability then this cost run up won't be as severe and in fact the cost run up that we've already seen may decline that's very difficult to to project uh, particularly in view that if we look at the marketplace and the refining plans we don't see any major or many significant major 
projects that's going to lead to alleviating that issue. On the other hand, there are many options that the refiners internally with smaller changes can do to alleviate the situation. I think the bottom line is that it's worth watching the extent to which this octane grows. There'll be some uncertainty there as to the cost. We can't say it's going to be much higher or lower, but if the octane rise is very large, I would assume that the compensations done by the refining industry will not offset it. If they're not very large, it could very well be that refining will adapt to that and we could see a flattening of octane cost, even a slight decline. So how does the Tier 3 sulfur requirements uh, fit into this? Does that exacerbate the cost issue at the refinery or is that something that's just totally separate? It will tend to push octane costs up a little bit. Now, one of the things, though, that about that is that uh, under the program that EPA has established, they have the banking and trading, meaning if you lower your sulfur ahead of time, you can take some of those credits and defer over the longer time period uh, reaching the actual final 10 ppm limit. And a lot of that has happened. In fact, the industry's down, reported by EPA and some others, down probably below 20 parts per million from 30 parts per million already. So they're building these credits. Also, a small amount of that is falls into that unexplained category where we couldn't fully explain the cost of octane rise. There is some of that tier two cost that's already in there. And then on the future compliance side, the fact that that's going to come into play over a longer period of time because they'll be able to use some of those credits to defer reaching the final 10 ppm, it'll sort of smooth it out. The bottom line is there will be an increase in, and it will contribute to the cost of octane. It will be smoothed out quite a bit and some of it we've already seen. So I want to ask you from the medium to long term, you know, the which you may define differently than me. When I say that, I'm thinking next 10 to, to 20 years. Where do you see octane headed in the U.S.? Our study addresses this, but I, I will say there's still a lot of unknowns and uh, there is a, a debate there as to the need for higher octane. And I don't think that this uh, is uniformly agreed upon either from the vehicle manufacturers or the uh, fuel producers. But we do see a, an increase in, in octane. A lot of it, based on what we see, will be, re, you know, it will be fuel economy related portion of that we've quantified in terms of what we'll see as growth of turbocharged vehicles. Um, We've already seen an increase in that. We have seen an increase in octane already. It's one of the factors that has driven the, the octane values up. And what's interesting there too, it's interesting to note is that the octane increase in premium market share has taken on a little bit of change. In the past, premium market share was very sensitive to price levels and to differentials between premium and regular gasoline. In other words, consumers had a point at which they wouldn't pay for that quality anymore. We see that eroding in that we see increase in price in in premium market share, even when the price of gasoline was going up and reached its peak. 
and we see it continuing even though the differential between regular and gasoline. So some reason consumer buying behavior has changed. That in part may be that more owner's manuals are saying we require higher octane for those turbocharged vehicles designed as such, or it may be that they're recommending that premium and consumers are looking in and saying, I, if they're recommending it, I'm going to go along with it. So we do see an increase in, in octane. We've made a projection in our study. We've looked at uh, the EIA has a projection of turbocharge sales over time, and we've turned that into a percent turbocharge in the marketplace. Now, the turbocharged vehicles uh, can be designed for lower octane and higher octane, although from what we understand, generally, you'll get best performance out of the higher octane. And so we've made some assumptions, but all of our assumptions lead us to the fact that we see increase in premium market share over time and therefore increase in octane requirement. Well, I mean, it's hard to shop for a, for a new car these days, and I know that because um, we're in the market and we're looking. And if you look at the, the fuel requirements, most of the models that I'm looking at require premium. Or they either recommend premium or they flat out require premium at this point. So, I mean, that, that certainly explains it, I mean, from, from that standpoint. We think that trend is going to continue requiring premium and and the other thing is, what other technologies are they going to use? And, and and what also plays into that technology is, according to what I'm reading about, sort of the cutting edge, you know, there's a lot more um, technology available to allow for lower octanes. That, then there's also the issue of whether or not ethanol will be there. There's technologies that are changing. Uh, they're even toying with uh, variable compression ratios. So I think the debate is not over. Uh, but I think the general trend will be for higher octane. So we've been talking about the U.S., and I know the study mostly uh, or, or, or really focused on uh, the U.S. market, but you're an international refining expert. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of you know this octane situation in the U.S. and how it might impact the international market? Or just what's happening with octane in the international market in general? Are you seeing some of the same trend lines or is it a little bit different? I think it's, it's probably very similar. We looked at the international market kind of in two pieces. One is the Latin American market because that is, is very tightly related to the U.S. Gulf Coast and our octane market. And we see an increase in octane there. We also see an increased requirement for volume, so increased exports from the U.S. And their their trend is uh, similar to the U.S. The initial octane increases are largely coming from doing away with very low octane grades that are in the marketplace. And then some countries will have an increase in premium octane. Uh, also, many countries throughout the world are looking to eventually harmonize, and they, they tend to pick the, the European spec, the 95 RON spec. And um, that is uh, is generally a, a higher octane. So we do see the trend internationally headed towards a increase in octane, most areas not a sharp increase in octane, following the similar trend to the U.S. Now, other than the 
Latin American market, we don't think that there is a huge impact on the the U.S. will have a huge impact on those markets and vice versa. Their octane requirements will have a huge impact on uh, on the U.S. There's not a lot of trade in that in that direction. Now, there, there are two important markets that uh, are, are experiencing dramatic change. And one was uh, China, because China was lowering their sulfur and gasoline, and they were also trying to remove MMT. And they were actually in a very major octane crunch. A lot of the help came from high-octane stocks, but largely from Europe, not the U.S., that were shipped over there to help them out. But they've also now responded to that octane crunch and by actually lowering their internal octane spec. So we think that between that and future refining expansions, that'll kind of be balanced out. And again, like the rest of the world, we'll see a small increase in in octane requirement, but not large. And then the other area is is Russia, who has some gasoline additives they use. And there's some incentive to remove that as well, which could cause an increase in the um, in the octane requirements in Russia too. But again, we don't see much impact on the U.S. market and vice versa. We don't see uh, U.S. market yeah, impacting that. So you said that these countries are going to follow the U.S. in the sense that, you know, octane is going to continue to increase over time. So just in a general sense, because there are hundreds of refineries around the world, but in a general sense, how do you see that being achieved? Will that be done um, at the refinery? Will it be a mix of, of octane enhancers and of the octane enhancers? Which ones do you see? being most commonly used with MMT, ethanol, MTBE, all of the above. What's your thought on that? Let me say one thing that's probably more important for the international market. You had mentioned earlier that we might have a little bit of different view of long-term, mid-term. Our study went out about five years, so we weren't working at the real, real long-term. We think that's good enough to look at for that U.S. market in terms of trends, Probably the um, international market is on a little bit of a different trajectory there. Their impacts are probably longer term. Well, all of the above, uh, not with the MMT or the uh, or the uh, metallic additives. Those will be going out if they have left. But MTBE and ethanol um, we see as being an important contributor. We see them actually... Uh, in terms of percent contribution, MTBE declining a little bit in terms of some of the large growth areas, uh, large MTBE users are not going to be using as much incremental. For example, the Middle East uh, will be producing a bit more refinery gasoline as opposed to MTBE. They'll still use a sizable amount, but we don't see the percent growing. And China also has been a huge MTBE user. China China should be getting close to its maximum oxygen content, so uh, uh, they don't have a lot of room for increasing too much, uh, increasing MTBE use. So so in general, we see a small decline in the proportionate share of MTBE, a small increase in ethanol, but not not large um, and and dedicated to a few specific markets, but we don't see much, much impact there. The net effect is that it will be all of the above, probably slightly more from refining um, than from outside refining. 
Okay, we'll end it there. That's the show. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Terry so much for being on the show today. Please do us a favor before you go. Head over to iTunes and rate this podcast. This is huge for us in terms of improving our ranking and keeping the show visible so that other people can discover it and also benefit from it. Thanks ahead of time for helping us out. If you're looking for more insight and analysis on future fuels issues, sign up for my free weekly newsletter at futurefuelstrategies.com. Thanks again.